MSW Media. This is Colin Donnell, and you are listening to my favorite podcast that begins with the letter W. Take that, Mark Marin. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Done and what we're drinking on this episode is Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey from the Bardstown Bourbon Company, part of their Fusion Series, the latest expression in their Fusion Series. That's the number two in the Fusion Series. It's a fantastic bourbon. And in just a little bit, I'm going to be talking to Dan Calloway and John Hargrove of Bardstown Bourbon Company. Going to tell you all about this whiskey, along with a contest that they're running. You're going to want to hear about this. It's a chance to win $20,000 and get to be a whiskey ambassador for a year for the Bardstown Bourbon Company. So details on that contest coming up in just a little bit. Also coming up, actor Colin Donnell. Our old buddy Colin Donald from Chicago Med, The Affair, Broadway, Arrow. He and I are going to be drinking Bardstown bourbon together. We're also going to be talking about the state of affairs in the world right now. Speaking of which, I do a weekly live stream for Flaviar. Flaviar is a membership club that uh, provides spirits for people on a quarterly basis and we've been doing this thing called nightcap live since quarantine started so we're going on three months now that we've been doing this we've had a lot of great guests including the guests that we had last week on the show aisha tyler and towards the end of the show aisha spoke very eloquently about what's happening in america right now about what we can do and most importantly about the hope that she had, and, and it really moved me to a degree that I, I want to play it for you now, what she, what she had to say, and here it is. Well, here's what I want to say to everybody watching. Um, first of all, thank you for being here. You know, this is really a passion project of mine, and I'm thrilled to finally be sharing it with people. Uh, I'm thrilled because I'm proud of it, but also because I feel like it serves a purpose. It serves a a purpose that I thought I had in my life and I hope it serves a purpose in your life. But also for me, I'm lucky that I'm able to do the job that I have. I'm lucky that I've been able to work with people like Dan and, and that for the most part, my job is very joyful. We're going through a really tough time as a country. Uh, and I'm not going to tell everybody how to feel on this thing. What I am going to say is if you're feeling anxious or afraid or dissociated, that there are resources out there for you. The internet right now is filled with ways that you can help and give back. And I, I, just did a, I just did a happy hour on Monday that was really focused on how people could give back. Um, if you are engaged with the movement and you want to give to Black Lives Matter or you want to go give to the Equal Justice Institute or the ACLU um, or uh, Initiative Zero, like there are all these things you can do. Um, but, you know, maybe all you can do is go down to your local businesses and bring them donuts and coffee and help them with their cleanup. Um, I'm very hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful about where we are. 
Um, my mom was a freedom writer and a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and she demonstrated that she marched and she put her body on the line for social justice. You know, before I was ever born, I have so much respect for her, and I have so much respect for everybody that's out there marching right now. That's not going to be everybody's path. Not everybody's going to want to do that. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. But I believe in the perfectibility of this country. We are not perfect, but we can be perfect. And the way that we do that is that we support each other, we hold each other accountable, and we put our monies where our mouths are. Our monies where our mouths are, our money where our mouths are. And so if you are feeling anxious or scared or dissociated, please reach out to friends. You can look at any of my socials. I've been posting a lot of resources for how to get involved. And they don't all have to be, like I said, getting out on the front lines. There are a lot of ways that you can help. And um, I encourage you to get engaged and stay engaged because, man, are we flawed. Man, do we have a lot of flaws. But there is no country with a greater capacity for greatness than the United States. And I'm excited for what we do next. Uh, and I want to make sure that I raise a glass to that specifically. So cheers. Cheers. Cheers to democracy and the perfectibility of democracy. And that's why I love Aisha Tyler right there. She's a beautiful person and she does put her money where her mouth is. And I hope you will too. And with that, let's put some bourbon where our mouths are and jump into our chat with the guys from Bardstown Bourbon Company. Joining me now, all the way from Kentucky, via the Zoom, is uh, Dan Calloway, the VP of Hospitality at Bardstown Bourbon Company, and John Hargrove, the COO of Bardstown Bourbon Company. Guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Awesome. Great to be here. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having us. Uh, we're stoked, Dan. So, I, uh, I got to tell you... I love coming to Kentucky. I love uh, tasting whiskey in Kentucky. As people may or may not know out there, you know, bourbon does not have to be made in Kentucky, but about, I think it's around 95% of the world's bourbon supply comes from within a 60 mile radius of Bardstown, Kentucky. Bardstown has historically been the epicenter of bourbon and you guys have a, an amazing facility smack dab in the middle of it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the idea of our company really came about in 2013 and really manifested itself, uh, opening up its doors for production in 2016. So September 2016, we opened the facility at a 1.5 million proof gallon capacity uh, to put that in barrel numbers as 25,000 barrels per year. Uh, the next year, we doubled capacity with the success of our collaborative distilling program. We had to increase capacity to 50,000 barrels a year, so 3 million proof gallons. The year after that, we had to double capacity yet again. Uh, so we are up to 7 million proof gallons a year, a little over 110,000 barrels currently, producing for some of the largest spirits producers in the world, down to some of the largest craft producers in the world. Uh, so it's been a wild ride. So basically we've quadrupled capacity in under two years here at this facility. So the demand is there and we try to keep up with it. So some uh, of the brands you, you mentioned, I mean, uh, people got to know these Jefferson's right. High West, uh, James E. Pepper, or just some of the brands that are, are, are uh, you're producing mash bills for there, correct? 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We produce over 40 mash bills. So a lot of brands you're familiar with, Maker's Mark produces one, Heaven Hill five. This is over 40 mash bills that are completely customized to uh, our collaborative partner there. So 500 points that we can tweak flavor from yeast, set times, the grain, the barreling, we can truly create a product for them. With all of that in the collaboration, we're also making an incredible product for ourselves that's currently aging. In the meantime, we're blending, we're finishing, we're doing some awesome innovation as we build to, to releasing truly Bardstown bourbon distilled here. One of the things that jumped out at me on the website is that you you refer to this as a Napa Valley style destination on the Kentucky bourbon trail. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I maybe uh, it might help to show you, but uh, we call it the modern authentic bourbon experience. We were the first place on the, the trail, and I'll just pop this right here for anyone that wants to see, to combine uh, this amazing restaurant, the spirit specialist with the distillers to have each of these teams working together on products. So you come here, you experience a meal, you take a cocktail class, you feed out of a barrel, and you really see what bourbon can be uh, in, in, this, in this new age. Yeah, it's a true immersive experience, uh, right? And we even have plans of uh, potentially a hotel uh, on property to make that, uh, that full experience uh, complete here on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Well, I got to ask, obviously, what, what we're all experiencing right now has put a bit of a, you hit the pause button there. So how are you weathering this? I mean, you have a facility that is custom made for people to come and be around other people. So what's the plan moving forward? Well, the, the important thing is that our distillery right behind me, you can see, is running uh, full steam ahead, you know, 24-7. We're still making the juice on site. As far as the experiences, we've switched uh, to some awesome virtual options. We do virtual cocktail classes, virtual tours. We just did one with our master distiller, Steve Nally, where you can hang out with him. He shows you, digs into each part of the process. So we're, we're looking at options there. We are actually going to open back up to the public for tours next week and then the restaurant in July, all within um, you know sanitation, safety guidelines. guidelines. We'll do it with limited capacity. Uh, we'll do it in a safe way, but you can still come out and experience what we're doing. When people want to make start making plans, and I, I, I've been wanting to do that for the past three months, but looking down the line, they want to come. How does the experience start? Where do they stay? They stay in, in Louisville? Um, you know, we want to be that hub when you when you plan your plan your trip. So you can come here, have a great meal. Uh, there's hotels coming up in Bardstown. Uh, there's a new one opening this year. Um, from here, we can kind of be that hub and you can spoke off to all these other great distilleries. But we want you to do the cocktail class here, do the special barrel picks, uh, dive into mash bills, have great meals here, and then build your experiences from there. But absolutely, about a 50-minute drive to Louisville, same to Lexington. Uh, you're welcome to, to stay in there and come visit us during the day. And I got to tell you, folks, it's worth going out. The whiskey itself, the first, I, I believe one of the first sips I've ever had of Bardstown bourbon was the uh, the Prisoner, uh, which is a Tennessee bourbon, which is finished in the, the Prisoner. People, wine drinkers out there know the, the Prisoner. You're finishing that in, in their French oak barrels, correct? And I, I just, it's such a, I mean, it's a powerful whiskey. What is it? It's got to be around 100 proof, right? Right, it is. Uh, so we finished it in uh, French neutrals. 
at that same ratio um, that the prisoner uh, blend is. So Ziffindel forward uh, with uh, Syrah, Petit Syrah, Cab Sav. So we, what, what's unique about our, our finishes, they're traditionally um, a lot longer uh, compared to the industry. So that particular finish was 18 months in those barrels. Uh, so you can see we, we had the patience to do that while working on other projects and we're really excited. We're actually going to come out with a, a second iteration uh, of the prisoner release. So uh, we have a lot more in the pipeline coming down. John, when you say it's a lot longer, so 18 months, what would be, what would be industry kind of standard for something like that like for eight months on average, usually on the finishes, but there's some nine to 12 months. Uh, so we're on the higher side and we even have some projects in the warehouses right now. Uh, our longest age one is over two and a half years right now on the finished side. Uh, so we're doing a lot of experimentation uh, from different uh, finishes with wines, uh, with beers, to see where the sweet spots are for all those different types of finishes uh, that we'll be putting out in the future. And speaking of sweet, I, I, I with that whiskey, with the prisoner, I, I remember the very, it had a very, not sweet in any cloying way, but just in a very delightful way. So I think that's, it, the mash bill's got to be pretty high. Uh, corn content, correct? Yeah, it's uh, around that 84% corn content. So 84% corn, uh, 8% rye, um, uh, and uh, the rest of the malted barley. So yeah. it's a really corn-heavy recipe. And the cool thing about that prisoner is that it's, you're right, it's about 100 proof, but it is all natural. It's actually cast strength. So where often things are diluted with water, just the residual dregs of the wine, that gallon or two of wine that's left over in the barrel, that's what brought the proof down to 100. So it's a cast strength, 100 proof whiskey. So that Tennessee on its own would be 110 proof uh, in the barrel. So you can see it, it brought it down uh, 10 proof points, essentially down to 100 proof uh, to be cast strength. People hear that and they maybe get a little bit of, a little bit afraid. But I'm going to tell you, the, the alcohol is not, you're not getting that dominant, you know, sometimes when you get a big high proof scotch or something where you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, it's a really smooth whiskey. Yeah, it's it's rich, fruit forward. I mean, it's decadent, just like the prisoner wine, you know, you're going to get fruit and, and just a, a full flavored and not that that uh, aggressive biting alcohol at all. It's it's really viscous. well balanced. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Coming up on the show, actor Colin Donnell and I are going to be uh, getting into, we're going to be researching the whiskey. And by that, I mean drinking the hell out of it. Yes. Nothing better than, than, than researching whiskey. That's what I love best about this job. You've got a couple of new products out as well. Or you want to talk about your, uh, you got the Fusion Series number two. Is that, how, when was that, when did that come out? Yeah, so Fusion, it really encapsulates everything we're about. It's, it's, it's uh, collaboration, transparency, and innovation. It's collaborative because the teams, John's team, the culinary team, the beverage team, all on site here, work together through all kinds of blinds that John puts together. Um, we have tons of options to on our own stuff, over 40 mash bills, tons of source. We come together, we make the best blend possible. It's transparent. Because we put exactly what's in there, the ratio, right on the side yeah. of the label blend we came up with. It's innovative because anything's on the table. We're, we're discovering this art of blending, putting different flavor profiles together to make one product that's greater than the individual parts. So it's a fusion of our bourbon and source bourbon. But most importantly, it's a fusion of the different perspectives that we have on site. Yeah, and what's really neat about this product, product where 
where other other sites, other companies traditionally have a master blender, um, we we came at it at a different approach. So we have the culinary team involved, we have the beverage bar team involved, and then the distillery team involved. So each come at it with a different perspective, and uh, all of them are allowed to come up with their own ratios, their own submissions that we all taste blindly, right? Uh, so every time out of 52 uh, submissions, this one won out in each blind tasting that we conducted with the team. Uh, and to throw to throw them off a little bit, I even uh, threw some finished products into the process blindly to see how this would compare uh, to products that are already out there on the market. And um, we submitted it, this to the uh, World Whiskey Competition in San Francisco uh, this year. Um, it got a double gold and then Whiskey Advocate 2019 named it the 11th best whiskey in the world. Incredible. Yeah. And, and so, for such a new company too. I mean, you, it's gotta be intimidating to come in because, you know, you got all the, you got all the, the old brands, the, 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 the established brands there. Was there, was there a level of intimidation about, can we really do this? Yeah, there is. Uh, but that's a good thing. Uh, we, we, we face that head on. It's all about the team that we have built here. Uh, so definitely the talent that we have brought in house to tackle that uh, head on. So that's just, this is just a manifestation of the team we have built here at BBC. So uh, on the distillery side, we brought in some of the best uh, operators, supervisors, managers in the industry all together on the culinary side. Dan can touch on it since he was a part of bringing these people yeah. in house. Uh, you know, world-class bar program, culinary program, all recruited um, just amazing spirit specialists and chefs that are on house. And John, uh, just to speak on him, former Green Beret, uh, left the service, got into uh, the spirits industry, former master distiller over at Sazerac with Barton Brands, recruited, like you said, a traditional big industry to come here, innovate, and create his own program here. So it, it is all about the team. So we all bring different skill sets essentially to the table, and uh, we leverage all those different skill sets across the board to come out with a product like this. Well, there's something uh, really exciting too that I that I want to tell you all about out there, and it's a chance to uh, maybe get hired on as uh, the world's top whiskey taster. So I want to. It's a it's a contest. It uh, you know what I'm going to let you guys tell tell the tell people out there what they got to do because this is a really really exciting opportunity. Yeah, this is a new opportunity. So we just came out with this. It's it's an awesome program. It's a way for a whiskey fan to enter and get involved and present themselves uh, as the world's top whiskey taster, you know? So what we're looking for is personality and passion. Um, we want people to submit their video, go to bardstownbourbon.com. You can see the world's top whiskey taster. All we want is a video explaining why you should be considered to be this represent, uh, you know, representation of bourbon and Bardstown bourbon. It is not about ability to pick out tasting notes or anything like that. Um, you do not need to quit your day job. You will represent us in festivals, right? You'll go out, we'll do whiskey festivals, we'll fly you out there. You will um, receive $20,000 cash prize. $20,000? Right Wait, can, can I enter? Can I enter this thing? <laughs> You're my main contender. I got my money. I know my stuff. I'm ready. And then most, the coolest thing I think is the opportunity to create your own blend with our master distiller, Steve Nally. Wow. So 
your own blend, $20,000, and you represent Bardstown Bourbon Company at these different whiskey festivals, all you need to do is go to bardstownbourbon.com for information, then you'll submit a video explaining why you should be the world's top whiskey taster. As intimidating as this could be, world's top whiskey tasting, we really modeled it around how do we reach that person who's really passionate about the spirits industry, but per se is not working in the spirits industry. So we gravitated towards that, the video submissions, the personality Dan touched on. So we're getting really excited about the submissions that are coming in. And this is going to be a great process and a really fun process, too. So you have until June 15th. If you go to my Instagram, at the imbiber, I will post information for you about about getting involved in this contest. But again, you're going to have about a week or so to get that video in. It's just a one-minute video for a chance to win $20,000 and get to uh, represent Bardstown Bourbon Company at some of these whiskey festivals next year that I know are going to happen. They're coming back. I, you know, I'm the, I'm the MC of the Whiskey X. And in fact, I was, as we're taping this today, I, I looked at my calendar and I got a little sad because on my calendar, it says Whiskey X Nashville. So I'm supposed to be in Nashville, Tennessee right now hosting an event, but it's going to come back and all of these festivals are going to come back. And I'll tell you what, I think people are going to have a stronger affinity for stuff like that because the old, you don't know what you got till it's gone. I miss that I miss, you know, I miss, for instance, bourbon and beyond. I was psyched to be back there this year. It's been canceled, man. I can't wait. I don't know about you guys. Uh, we agree. I can't wait uh, to get rolling again and just share our bourbon with, with you guys and come out. I, like you say, these whiskey festivals, they're going to happen. We're planning for them to happen. We're ready to get out there and, and pour our bourbon for you. Well, listen, I'm, uh, I've got a, a hot date with Colin Donnell uh, to drink your whiskey. That's happening a little bit da- down the line here on the show. I want to thank Dan Calloway and John Hargrove of Bardstown Bourbon Company for taking time out of your day to join us here. Guys, I look forward to seeing you in person at the distillery soon. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dan, and thanks for having us on. And we look forward to hosting you soon, and uh, we're excited about what's to come down the pipeline. Thanks. All right. Uh, Thanks a lot, guys. My friends, can I be straight with you? Right now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. In fact, you shouldn't be going to drugstores at all if you can avoid it. Harry's knows this. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience and safety of your own home. Why Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price. We're talking $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman. Harry's uses a German manufacturer that's been honing precision blades for a century. Those high quality blades go straight from the factory to you with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know and they'll give you a full refund. So I've got a, uh, I got an offer for you. I've got a little deal. I'll make you a deal. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and listeners to my show, What We're Drinking With Dan Dunn, can redeem their Harry's trial at harrys.com slash drinking. That's harrys.com slash drinking. Redeem it. You're going to get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, some rich lathering shave gel with aloe, keep your skin nice and hydrated, very important, and a travel blade cover, keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Because eventually you're going to get to go somewhere again, I promise. So go to harrys.com slash drinking, 
to start shaving better today. With me now, you know, I would, I like to, you know, he is an actor, but I kind of think of him as sort of my de facto co-host now, since he's coming on the show so often, but he is an actor as well. He's been on Broadway, he's been on Chicago Med and The Affair and Arrow and a ton of other stuff. Please welcome back my friend Colin Donnell. How are you, man? Good, man. How are you doing? Hey, God, what is that microphone you got? That's a good-looking mic. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug them. It's the it's the blue microphone. It's the blue Yeti. Oh, I've seen that. You like it? You happy with it? it looks good. I love it. Yeah. It's uh, it makes me sound a lot cooler than I actually sound in real life, which is great. Uh, no, it's and it's super easy. USB plug-in. It looks good. What do you think of this look, by the way? What I have going on right here with the bandana and myself behind me pointing at me. You are just the poster boy of narcissism. <laughs> I was I was hoping you'd say modern day Springsteen. I was going Springsteen circa born in the USA look, you know? Yeah. Um Born in the U see it? Pipes. Remember when Bruce was working out? I got the pipes going like Born in the USA. Not I seeing it? Bruce, You're not seeing it? No, I've seen it. Okay. Is that enough? When I, seen enough? Like, when, I was, when I was like four years old, that was the only song that I would sing around the house. My mom has this great picture of me as a little kid, and I was like dancing in the street. Another great Bruce song. Uh, dancing in the dark. Dancing in the dark. Sorry. Dancing in the streets, Martha, and the Vandellas. Get it right, please. You're right. I apologize. You've just been demoted from de facto co-host to PA. uninformed music fan (laughs) (laughs) so that was you dancing in the dark you could play around the house no 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 born in the usa but i didn't know any of the lyrics except for born in the usa so i would bug my parents nonstop, just singing born in the usa over on loop over and over again Yeah. yeah It was like the song that never, this is the song that never ends. It just goes on and, but it was like, you know, four words. Well, I'd like to send out a congratulations to the Donalds for not drowning their young son in a sack. Because that's what I would have done. I'm I'm afraid I couldn't, after about the hundredth time of Born in the USA. Okay, come here. Let's go. Get you out of here. We're shipping you off to a, to a uh, circus. Remember when you're, my mom used to say that to me. She'd say, you know, we'll, was- we can always send you away to the circus. And I thought, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> that sounds better than this shit, and they're probably better cooked than you. No. You, I was uh, had a rough childhood. Um, so we are here. It's good to have you back, man, as always. And good to be here. We have, we've been talking for three minutes, and we have not raised a drink yet. Nope. And we, we need to do that. I want to cheers you. There you go. <laughs> Your drink disappears. <laughs> it disappears when you go over here. But over there, you can see it. So- Cheers, like Ching. There we go. Cheers now, to you. You start. What are you having? So we're we're drinking Bardstown bourbon today. And, and what do you what did you make with this? I made myself a Boulevardier cocktail. Okay. Explain and that to people what you got going on there. So if people watched the last time that I was on, we were drinking Negronis last time, right? That's that's right. Uh, I was drinking Negronis. Uh and a Boulevardier is just a riff on a Negroni. Instead of gin, you uh substitute out for a bourbon or a rye. Uh and you know, earlier you and I were talking about uh Chicago and aviary. I have the beautiful aviary cocktail book that my wife Patty gave to me. And I was looking through their 
through their recipes and trying to find something cool. And I found their, you know, the traditional Negroni or Boulevardier is one to one to one bourbon Campari and uh, vermouth. And vermouth. Yeah. But they have a very specific ratio of two ounces bourbon, uh, 0.75 of vermouth and half an ounce of Campari. And I have to say it's my new favorite ratio for a Boulevardier. So it's a way more whiskey prominent version of it's, it. It's heavier on the whiskey. Gotcha. And it sort of balances out the, you know, I'm a Campari fan, but it's all very evenly balanced and wonderful. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Sounds good. What are you drinking? I, I'm doing it. I'm doing a variation. Well, not a variation. I'm doing an old fashioned with the muddled fruit. So what I did is I took uh, two maraschino cherries and I put them in a shaker. So this is a different kind of way to do it. And this is from uh, my friends over at Difford's Guide. Uh, Difford's Guide has a great recipes, lots of great stories on there. So that's where I found this recipe. So it's you take two cherries, throw them in a shaker, and then you take a half a slice of a fresh orange and you throw that in there. Okay, and you muddle the cherry and the orange, and then a little bit of lemon, just a tiny little slice of lemon in there too, muddled that up, two and a half ounces of bourbon, a little quarter ounce of the the maraschino syrup from the cherry jar, just pour a little bit of that in there, and then some uh, sugar cane syrup, like a quarter ounce of that, and two dashes of whatever aromatic bitters you enjoy. I used Dale DeGroff's pimento bitters, and you're you're shaking it this time. You're shaking it and then straining it into an ice-filled glass, Obviously, the, the the old fashioned is usually or often mixed in the glass itself, in which it's going to be served. But I think that shaking it just incorporates the flavors. Uh, it gets you know muddling. It gets all of that in there, and I you know I like it. So, see, I'm not a I'm not a muddler for my old fashioned. Not a muddler, okay. Except for the because uh, I usually use like a demerara sugar cube, and what I'll do is I'll soak it in the bitters. And I'll muddle that up. But that's it. That's the only muddling that I do. I think the practice of of muddling fruit and putting it into drinks originated back in Prohibition days because a lot of the what people were getting to drink was moonshine and shit. <laughs> and so yeah. the fruit was a component that was added to mask the unpleasant flavor of the spirits. I was just having this conversation with my brother last night. I was, I, I found a couple of, uh, new bottles. Um, and in particular, a new gin that I haven't had before. And, uh, and he was saying like, you know, we were, we started talking about the history of cocktails and basically we were saying the same thing. It's like, you know, a lot of, uh, classic cocktails derived out of the fact that people wanted to mask the flavor of the bad booze they were tasting. Absolutely. So, uh, but I'm enjoying Bardstown for real. Yeah. So what do we, we, which one do we have here? We've got the, uh, oh, this is their, uh, fusion series. Okay. I haven't opened that one yet. Cause I made mine from the prisoner series. Wait the hell you got two bottles and I only got one. I talked, they like me better. <laughs> man, I talked a little earlier on the show with Dan and John from Bardstown, and we were talking about the Prisoner series. So that, as you, I'm sure you surmised, is aged, finished in barrels of wine that were used to age the Prisoner wine. So mm-hmm. tell me what, I mean, what do you think of that 
influence that that those barrels are having on it. I mean, it's it, it does have a little bit of that um, sort of round, oaky, like Cabernet almost okay. feeling to it. Um, so it, it definitely rounds out the cocktail, which is really cool. And I think it, it pumps up the, uh, the, uh, the vermouth that I'm using. Do you have a, a preferred flavor profile for bourbon? Um, I love that caramel flavor. So you like a little sweetness, a little sweetness. Um, you know, I also drink a lot of rye, so, uh, I'm big on rye heavy bourbons. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's something about like a nice round fruit forward bourbon and, and sweet kind of caramelly bourbon that I really, really enjoy. So you're, every time we're drinking, you're usually making a cocktail and you like, you, you, you really enjoy whiskey cocktails, right? Or gin, you know, you're either, you know, doing a gin or you're doing a whiskey cocktail. So do you do it neat though often? Yes. You do. Well, I will say I, I usually prefer my cocktails over ice or sorry. I, I usually prefer if I'm, if I'm drinking booze on its own, I usually put it over, over ice, over ice. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I haven't had it before, I always will like sample a little bit of it, just straight, neat, no ice, just to see what it's like and, and get a, get a sense of it. But I, I do enjoy like a nice big block of ice. I mentioned to you earlier off the air that the guys from Bardstown extended an invite, said anytime we want to come out there and go visit. Have you done that? I don't know if we talked about that before. Have you ever gone on, done like the bourbon trail? I've never done the bourbon trail. I've gone to, I think I've made it to one distillery in Kentucky. Uh, and I think it was the Wild Turkey Distillery. That's a good um, one for sure. Yeah, but it was only a. It was really just a stop in for a brief second. It was. It was a real quick little visit to the to the shop. I didn't actually get to take a tour or anything like that. Um, but it's been on the 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 actual bourbon trail has been on a list and sort of a uh, a bucket list item for me and a bunch of my friends for a long time. It's a really remarkable what's happened there in the Bardstown area and also the downtown Louisville area in terms of the development and, and how much whiskey and the resurgence that we've seen over the last 25 years or so in craft cocktails has created this massive economy of tourism now in, in, in Louisville. And obviously that's been put on hold right now, but I, I got, I got a feeling it's going to start happening soon. I got a feeling people are going to start doing it. I don't know if it's the best idea right now, but uh, it seems to there seems to be a feeling that this thing's over. I'm like, you know, people are still dying, but I guess it's over. Uh, but I do look forward to even when I talked to those guys earlier. They were we were doing the the Zoom, and they were in the distillery. And, and I gotta say, it really is a spectacular facility. The Bardstown Bourbon Co- they they built this place to be visited. You know, there's a, a, a world-class restaurant in there. They're going to build a hotel, but it is a really good looking place. And I, I got, I got a little, you know, there was a real feeling of whimsy when I was watching them. I'm like, I miss this man. There was, and you know, and and it's all those things that we, that we took for granted. You know, I remember times going, Oh man, I can't believe I got to go to another distillery tour. I got to go do this. And I'll tell you what, I, I miss it now. I miss being able to go and those smells and, 
you, you, you learn stuff and at the end they give you a bunch of whiskey to try. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. You, well, when you, uh, when you asked me to come on, I, I looked them up and their facilities are beautiful. I mean, it's not often that you, a lot of the smaller batch distilleries and they're not a small batch distillery. Well, I guess technically they are. I mean, they're doing, you know, they, they do a lot of production for some other brands as well. So they're doing a good, I mean, they're not wild Turkey certainly, right. but, uh, but they're, they're, I'd say they're medium sized. But you know, there's, I, I feel like there's a sense of, you think of like the Jack Daniels distillery and, and, uh, and some of the older manufacturers, they have like kind of a homegrown feel to their distilleries and, these guys, I mean, from the pictures that I've seen, it's brand new. It's beautiful. It's all been designed to within an inch of its life to make it appealing for people to come and enjoy the facility as much as they're enjoying the product that they're making there. It, it And you're seeing that movement. And so, for instance, I've gone and I've toured distilleries in Scotland countless times. And that's a whole different experience because a lot of those places are really old. And it's fantastic. You know, you go in and you got that black mole over the walls and it's just, it's, you know, and that, that musty smell down in the barrel room. That's just, you can't replicate that. It's, it's just, it's just history, you know, but, right. but they're, you know, the times are, are, they're changing and they keep changing. And I think you're seeing, especially in Kentucky, in the bourbon area is that they're, they're modernizing quickly. So a lot of these, even these venerable old distilleries have built facilities now in the downtown area of Louisville. I think there's 13 or 14 now. 10 years ago, there were none. Okay. But that mm-hmm. Woodford Reserve put up a beautiful, I mean, and these uh, Michters, and these are beautiful modern state-of-the-art facilities that they're putting up there and then when you go out to bardstown you still got some of the old folksy places like you know jim beam and even though beam's got a still a new still house that's incredible as well but it's something to see one of these days we'll go see it you know i also appreciate that somebody from philly is actually pronouncing louisville right what did i what do you what do you louis louisville louisville yeah louisville we can say louisville how do you say what what's the city in Louisiana where everybody goes? How do you say that city? Oh, it's New Orleans. Okay, because some people go New Orleans. Then I got yeah, people definitely. that go New Orleans. But then my friend from New Orleans said you only should say New Orleans if you're from New Orleans. If you're that from Philly sense. and you say it, then you sound like you're trying too hard. So New Orleans. <laughs> well, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. I don't know how that came about. I used to. I think I used to tease my dad about the way that he said it. Did he say Missouri? He always said Missouri growing up, and I was like, well, that's weird. There's an I on the end of it. And then, lo and behold, as I got older and I kept telling people where I was from, living in New York, I was like, oh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I was like, oh. So you were, it sounds to me like as a young child, your your mission in life was to give your parents shit, singing Born in, <laughs> making fun of the way your dad talks, singing Born in the USA on Endless Loop. What's going on there, man? You were, you were, were you a little rabble rouser as a child? No, no, I don't think so. But they had a lot of patience, that's for sure. I mean, they raised a kid that wanted to be an actor, so and they supported it. <laughs> Last time you were on, then a female friend of mine watched, or I think it might have been the live stream that you and I did on Flaviar. Okay. And she said, that guy looks a lot like John Hamm. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't he from St. Louis as well? He is. There's he... a look. There's a look for the actors that come out of St. Louis. Yeah. 
just <laughs> dark haired, bearded, dark hair. You do look a little bit like John Hamm. You know what? There are worse comparisons. Yeah, John Hamm's an attractive man. Uh, it's the whiskey talking. I'm just saying that. So I want to try it neat. So you're saying you're you're not drinking the Fusion series right now? No, but I'm gonna. Go I'm gonna. Ch- you go. Yeah. I'm gonna. I just need to grab a uh, a glass. All right, you got a glass. I'm gonna. Got my bar set it behind me. Uh, and I luckily have the Fusion series right, right here. here. I'm I'm gonna do this one neat. Me as well. So what I love about these this bottle, it's a good looking bottle, but what I like about it is that everything's on the bottle. There's no mystery. What I'm what yeah, I'm te- what I'm telling you right now is on the it gives you a breakdown on the side of the bottle <coughs> about the percentages of the blend. I just I, I like that. I like that they're keeping people informed as to what's in it. It's a really it's a really interesting I, I mean it's a it it's a beautiful way, it's a beautiful label because it, it leaves nothing you know, people are going to get their own tasting notes, but they also get really informed about what they're drinking. And yeah, what I'm getting here, mm, getting a little bit of that green apple, which I really like, and and some and roasted nuts. And you mentioned the caramel; that's there, right? That mm-hmm. that's totally there in this one. But I, it's a nice balance here between the younger whiskeys. I think the the youngest whiskey in here is under three years old. And then that 12 uh, two year, year Yeah, two years, 10, 10 months. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of the, uh, like the roundness of the age and the, the, I don't want to say abrasive, but you get a little punch in the mouth with the newer, uh, with the newer corn heavy uh, right. blend. Yeah. Do you, uh, have you gone to many sort of organized tastings, whiskey tastings? Um, no. You haven't done it. <laughs> Well, because it's it's funny because you go to those things sometimes and it's like a competition, you know who can who can throw out the best adjectives and you know who right. can who can one up the guy you know next to him and <laughs> and they're funny because I've done a ton of them and uh, I always every once in a while like I'll run a seminar or something and I mm. just like doing that because then I'll say okay what is everybody getting here and someone will like raise their hand and go what are you getting and they're like caramel I'm like wrong. <laughs> fucking I'd idiot say, or you so, there's no caramel so, in here no <laughs> my uh my my wife patty and i uh took a not when we were first starting date we, we, early on in our relationship we took a, a wine tasting class okay uh down at the astor center in new york city wonderful class it was amazing and she has the like she's got the most specific uh taste bud sense that I can think of. And she laughed. She just laughed in the background. Uh, she, she's got a good, she's got a good palate. She's got a great palate. Uh, but the, her descriptors are always way off the wall. So like we'll be tasting a wine and she's like, Oh, and she loves it. She's like, that tastes like a cloth band aid that you've just been wearing for like 12 hours. And then you took it off. And I'm like, what do you? T-? And then I'll taste the wine. I'm like, oh no, actually, you're right. And it's that's kind of great. <laughs> I wonder if Patty's a super taster. I think she is. No, there's a, that's an actual term. Have you ever heard the term a super taster? It's somebody who no. is their sense of taste. They just they they experience it with like a, a much greater intensity than the average person. And there are it's a, like a documented scientific thing. I had no idea, but I. 
I think it probably applies to her because like everything is really spot on. But like, I remember one time we were tasting a wine and you know, she's a, she's a big white wine fan. She tasted a wine. She was like, it smells. And I feel she took a sip. She's like, it's like the Mylar balloon that you had at your fifth birthday. Then you popped it. And that smell that escaped the balloon after I'm like, Huh. Okay. That's incredible. But she's spot on every time. Every time, like, there's no way. Oh, yeah, that 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 tastes like that. <laughs> well, I'm, t- I'm looking at it right now. I just looked it up, and it says, yeah, the, the, first of all, women are far more likely to be super tasters. Okay. Because uh, they have a, it says female super tasters have a lower body mass index and predominant cardiovascular health. Okay. But it says the cause of this heightened response is unknown. Although it's thought to be related to the presence of the Taz two R thirty eight gene, so do you know if Patty has the Taz two R thirty eight gene? Because that uh, that could be the thing that's doing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find out. I mean, we did all the genetic testing involved with pregnancy. I, so I, I think, my friend, you are married to a super taster. Can we turn this into a uh, into a like? commodity can we make some money you could probably you know you could have you could (laughs) you guys could do seminars where i'm gonna i'm gonna like put her out there as the premier like people are i I want all distilleries that are listening to this to say hey my wife is willing to be your super taster she's probably not but she can come in and identify all the elements that most people won't be able to pick up or the other thing you could do too what if you created an app where she just com- lists complete lines of bullshit descriptors of everything, and people can you so you can go to it like you can have it on your phone. And I'm not joking; that is actually not a bad idea. When you're sitting at a tasting and you go like this, and you just go to you go to the Patty app, and it's like, oh, this, yeah, I'm I'm picking up hints of yak wool here. Uh, you know, she could just have a whole list of descriptors and. Is it- there's a little bit of that argyle sweater that you wore for Christmas <laughs> three years ago. Over the ba- over the used cloth band aid, I I I actually have a hard time picking out. I, I'm limited to about twenty twenty five different flavors that I'm able to identify in everything. But I I do envy people that like your wife that are able. But but I think a lot of people are just full of shit too. I do too. Like a person, I'm sort of jealous of twenty five descriptors. I really when people ask me what I'm picking up in there, I'm like. Well, I when it's pointed out to me, I'm like, oh yeah, there is raisin in there, or in Patty's case, use bandaid. But for the most part, I'm like, do I like it or do I not? And ninety percent of the time, I'm like, yeah, it's drinkable because it's because it's booze. <laughs> the thing to me that's the giveaway. So I'll be at you know I'll be at a tasting in New York, you know, in New York or in Williamsburg or something, and there's this, you know, this guy he's very urbane he you know he was raised in the city and you'll do this thing and he'll say well i uh i'm I'm definitely getting notes of saddle leather and i just want to look i'm like 
Motherfucker, you've never been on a fucking horse in your life. You know, how does saddle leather? How how do you know what saddle leather smells like? You've never been anywhere near a farm. I smell this. I, I, I'm getting the sweat off of a horse in the morning after <laughs> you've ridden him across the plains for three hours at dusk. You've but- never been anywhere near a farm. Or they'll be, you know, it's, it's like I, the nose. It's like a slightly oiled bicycle chain. You don't ride a bike. Look at you. You're 250 pounds. Come on. That's what I do. I said, t- I'm a hater at the table. I'm a tater. I'm a tasting hater. I'm not there. I'm not there to enjoy myself. I, t- I will say the, the, I think the best thing that came out of us taking that tasting class was the, because the, the, this is wine tasting 101 at the Astor center in New York city. And it was run by the head of the, uh, Astor food and wine center. And his number one thing that he said first and last in the during the class was, look, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of experts that will tell you whether or not you should like this wine. The only thing that you need to know after tasting wine is, do you want to keep drinking it? Period. That's, yeah. I was like, oh. Well, then I don't feel as bad for not knowing as much about the things that I'm drinking as long as I'm enjoying it. See, I would have raised my hand at that point and said, yes, because I can't stop drinking. <laughs> just make everybody feel uncomfortable. No, I want to stop, but I can't because I just keep hearing my mom's head in my ear going, shut up, shut up. And so I just keep drinking to try to quell the exquisite inner pain. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? Yeah. I don't know, but it's do a that at a, Do that at a tasting sometime. Yeah. <laughs> What, what's wrong with me today, Colin? What's wrong with me? It's the headband. Is it? The, is it? Am I channeling whatever this look is I've got going on? I, is somehow, is it, you know? Cutting off some circulation somewhere. I look like one of the, remember the Warriors? Warriors come out to play. You remember that movie? No. Oh, man. You got to look. That's like an <laughs> amazing movie. It, it's set in New York in the 70s, I guess. And when like the New York was an absolute shithole and it was like the gangs kind of, so it's all the gangs, there's a murder and there's going to be a giant gang war and all the gangs are coming together and it's very tense and the warriors, it's a classic movie, right. but there's Putting a guy the that takes bottles and he puts them on his fingers like this and he's clinking them and he's going clink, clink, clink. And he goes, Warriors, come out to play. And I was like, it scared the shit out of me back then. But then I watched it as an adult. And I'm like, no, that guy's not scary at all. <laughs> not really. With that weird voice. So what else you got going, man? What's happened? We got whiskey. Uh, we got whiskey. You're still in quarantine. Having a baby yeah. soon. Having a baby soon. Um, getting closer on that front. You know, we've just been following the news and and uh you know we woke up this morning and we watched the uh the cnn and sesame street um uh special on cnn this morning it was, there was great a, there was a sesame street special on cnn there is a there is a sesame street cnn special to uh address the issue of racism in america oh, wow. uh, and it was awesome it was you know i think as informative for adults as it was for uh, kids, there was lots of questions coming from kids and families about how to identify racism in the country and how to uh, address racism racism in the country. And 
you know, it was, it was just a, it was a great, um, hour long special. Um, and you know, a lot of this is coming from, we, uh, as expecting parents, we're, you know, figuring out how to do our best to raise a kid to be fully aware of, uh, uh, racism and its role in the country and, and how it's going on and how to combat it actively and how to raise a kid to be aware of what is going on and to be, to grow up, to be anti-racist and, um, to, you know, respect everything. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, obviously we're talking in a very trying time in our country and, and we're, you know, we're, we're doing our best to read and donate and educate ourselves and, and talking with friends and family and, and talking amongst ourselves and talking about just everything looking inwards a lot. So CNN obviously scheduled this programming before they got word because I heard yesterday that George was looking down smiling and he was happy. Do you remember they didn't, you didn't hear that from the, I thought that was the word the president was saying that the, everything's okay now. He's smiling and happy, and it's a great time for our country. Ah, that's what you got to be thinking about. How do I raise my kid in the? Uh, you know what? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get political because then I'm going to get really angry. And I'm already wearing a cutoff shirt and a bandana, and shit could go hideously wrong. You don't want to get me angry, but I, I, you know, by no means am I trying to diminish everything you are saying. I, I, I couldn't imagine as as a someone who is about to, uh, you and your wife about to bring a child into the world, it's got to be some pretty heavy, heady stuff for you right now, man, because I, like, what the fuck else? Like, when are the locusts coming? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here now going, I'm convinced, Colin, and I, and maybe I shouldn't even say that out loud, but I'm, no, I am. I'm convinced that what's coming next, I'm just waiting for the second when this all starts shaking out here in Los Angeles. I'm like, cause it's gotta, it's gotta come now, right? Like the big one's gotta come now because the universe is going, I'm going to throw every fucking thing I got at you right now. And this is when you're bringing a child in the world. It's gotta be scary. You know, yeah, you're not wrong. It is. Uh, but I do think ultimately, and maybe this is an optimist in me, but I, I, I think that this could be a turning point, hopefully is a turning point for the country and for the world to, uh, create a new and better world, but it's all going to start on the micro. It's all going to be, it's all up to us and especially white people to examine their behavior and examine ourselves and, and move forward with purpose and focus on creating a world that is entirely equal for everybody. Um, and looking at the beauty and the differences um, and, and not just accepting it, but celebrating everybody's, uh, unique characteristics, the color of their skin, uh, the texture of their hair, their, their, their physical differences, their emotional differences. I mean, it's, it, it really, and it's, and I, I've been uncomfortable with a lot of the things that I've been 
examining about myself. But at the same time, I think that's all necessary to move forward and to create a better world. And it makes me uh, even more excited about raising a child in that world that, you know, we hopefully can create. Amen, brother. And, and, you know, not only just on that part of it as well, I am the optimist in me is trying to see this as a reset and not only that aspect, but also what's gone on with COVID and quarantine. There are things that have started to happen because of this that are good things, especially on the environmental front, because we're not flying airplanes, but we're not burning as much fossil fuels. You're seeing nature make a comeback in a lot of places in a, in very pronounced ways. So the optimist in me wants to see it exactly the way you, which is, this is a, this is a, a chance to start something new, to start to live, to move our world in a completely different direction. You know, and then the pessimist in me comes up because I remember, you know, as, as when I was a kid, man, when I was a teenager and stuff and going to, you know, Amnesty International concerts and, you know, U2 was a big band, favorite band of mine, REM and all these bands back then that were doing when they were causes and we're like, yes, no more. You know, I, I was listening to uh, some U2 the other night and I was listening to Sunday Bloody Sunday Live. I was watching it from the, the last tour in Dublin and they're singing and there was something really bittersweet about it because I love that song, but I'm going, there's a, the fact that he's going sing, sing no more, no more. And I'm like, we've been fucking singing. No, I've been singing no more since I was, since that song came out when I was 13 years old or whatever it was. And we're still, it's still, there's still a need to sing it. And so that part of it worries me that, but I do have to believe that humanity is going to figure this shit out and, and be better. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, specifically in regards to, you know, what is going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like it starts with us. Absolutely. It starts with white people figuring it out well, and it, coming it, to terms with our role in it unconsciously absolutely. or consciously and then moving forward from there. I grew up poor in Philadelphia, which was a very racially polarized city when I was coming up for sure. And you get to see, and the older I've gotten, I've gotten to see how economics really is at the heart of it, right? Like the economic opportunity that has been denied to people of color in this country for the entire history of this country, it starts there, right? Like unless you have unless you have power, which is money, and that's been denied, okay? But then the other thing they do, and if you're, you know, this is why Donald Trump is president, is they pit people that don't have any money who are white against people who don't have any money of color. And they say, it's their fault. It's their fault. And as long as it's, as long as people are fighting and thinking it's your fuck you, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's not the fault of the people whose fault it really is. (laughs) You know, the ones that are, that are keeping everybody down and holding everybody down. And so I get to see it from that perspective of having grown up and feeling like, man, I don't got shit either. Right. But the difference is, I never had to worry about like, you know, I got, if I got pulled over in Philadelphia when I was 16 years old and I was whatever had been drinking and it's a white cop, he's going to be like, "Ah, get out of here. You know, that wasn't the case. That's not, not the case for people of color. And that, you know, and that's the thing that 
is is I don't know if it's shocking to me, but the fact that I remember it being so bad when I was young, you know, like and and going here I am thirty years later and watching stuff that's seemingly worse than what I saw when I was young. And how did fuck did we get here? Let me have some more whiskey. Jesus Christ. How'd this happen? <laughs> well, you know what? It, I know. It I, I love having and this conversation. And, with and you, it's man. important that it happens because it's, it's, it's not, these are the, the discussions that need to have to happen. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, I think almost daily I am. And, you know, in the discussions that I'm having with Patty, we're, we're, we are, you know, examining and, and, you know, making realizations about white privilege and what that actually means in our lives and, and how we've benefited from it. And it's all important. It's all, it all goes towards a greater understanding of what can be done to fix the underlying issue and move forward. And, you know, at least, and, and I, you know, I said this in a, in a post the other day, it's, you know, all these uncomfortable feelings are, are good because if it can start here with me, then it can be passed on to, you know, these, these understandings can be passed on to my daughter. And then hopefully, you know, many people are having these micro changes in their own lives and in their family lives. And then it can spread outwards and we can make changes on the macro finally, because people need to get out and fucking vote. Fuck. Yeah, man. I'm going to make a vow to you right now, Colin, right here on this show. I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make it right. Should I keep going? Yeah. As I turn up the collar on my favorite winter coat. I sound like I'm done, I? A little bit? This wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street. Join in, Colin, anytime you want. With not enough mm-hmm. to eat, who am I to be blind? Pretending not to see their needs. Should I keep going? I'm trying to give you a taste of what your parents experienced when you were a child singing for you. I'm stunting <laughs> with the man in the mirror. I love that song. I'm not going to deny it. I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't love the legacy of Michael Jackson but I love man in the mirror. And it's, you know what? If everybody followed the advice that Michael Jackson gave in that song, the world would be a better place. I don't disagree. No. And with that, can we have a little, can we have a little toast with a little more whiskey here? I have, I have a little sip of my cocktail left. So it's perfect. I'm going to make some more. See, it's later. Colin's in New York. I'm in Los Angeles. So what ends up happening is when we do these things, I end up texting him, you know, like four hours from now, and he's sleeping, and I'm like, "Hey, where the fuck are you? <laughs> you you, you want to hang out?" And I'm like, "Yo, virtual, you want to play virtual? Crossword. I want to play. Do you have a dartboard, by the way? I don't. I'm trying to figure out virtual darts because I have a dartboard, and I want to be able to play darts with, you know, so you maybe set up the camera. I don't. I see. It. Well, look. Don't maybe knock five darts. years, maybe f- no, no, no. Five years ago, this would have been great, but I'm thinking about the safety of my kid at the moment. Darts aren't good. Well, like but, but the, when I was a kid, house. though, when I was a kid, we had lawn darts. Do you remember that lawn darts? Oh, I remember. That was a toy. Yeah. Like somebody <laughs> thought, you know what? Let's get heavy weighted objects with sharp points that children can throw 
outside. <laughs> Probably nobody's going to get hurt from that. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember once reading a, an article about how dangerous the toys were. Like in the seventies, some of the toys they had out there, lawn darts was probably top of it. I think they stopped making it when like a kid, like, you know, (laughs) caught one in the eye, caught one in the eye. Yeah. And then, uh, but there was even things like slip and slide. Remember slip and slide? Oh, well, I mean, people still have slip and slide. Yeah. But I grew up in the city and there wasn't a lot of grass. So people would do like, people would do slip and slide like on the curb. You know, and like a kid would go and he'd run and he'd slide off the slip and slide and just like, you know, oh, yeah, I see that shit just all the like time. Road road rash all over their chest. When I was a kid, you know, it was a, like a fun toy. Like if someone bought a refrigerator or something and then the refrigerator box was outside, we would get the box and there was so much shit you could do. Like you could put one of your friends in there and then everybody could just like attack the box because it's not like you're really doing anything because you can't see him because he's in the box or like you get. You go to a hill and you get in the box and then you roll down the hill in the box, but there'd be a couple of you in the box. So you're like breaking bones and elbowing each other in the face on the way down. It was good times. Ah. We used to do, uh, we used to do boat races when it, if it was going to, if it was going to rain, we would like make paper boats and like sail them down the gutters of the street. But then eventually like that, those gutters would lead to like a big sewage drain okay, or like a, you know, a, a water main drain that was, you know, in the corner of the neighborhood. And then it's like, well, there was that one kid who, you know, 15 years ago that there's a kid who didn't make it out of that sewer drain. So you probably shouldn't go down in there. It was, yeah. Are you oh, describing the plot of it right now? <laughs> Come on. I just watched part two of 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 the new it. I didn't see it. Is it good? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're friends with part- Bill. You friends with Bill Skarsgård? Are you? You're like, oh. no, I'm not. No, I'm. I actually don't know anybody in that movie. But uh, I thought, I, you know, I've never read the book. I thought the first part of the new movie was incredible. Okay, and I thought that the second part did a very serviceable job. It was I, I really enjoyed it. I was entertained. You know, it's hard because like there's so many stories to tell within that individually. So like there's five characters going out to do their own thing, and you have to tell each and every one of them each and every single time. So it was long. No, but I wasn't. I was. I was totally entertained. I just watched a series called Normal People. Have you watched it? Uh, you watched yeah, it? Yeah. You know, I, I sat. I Oftentimes what happens in this house is that Patty starts a series and she's like, do you want to watch this? I'm like, eh, whatever. And then like episode two, three or four, I'll hop in and I'll make her explain everything and all the relationships that are going on. And then I'll get sucked into the rest of the series. So that's what happened with normal people. I like sat down at episode four and was like, did you enjoy the series? Loved it. Yeah, me too. And it's funny. I talked to a good friend of mine the other day and I I told him about it and he watched the first episode and then he called me back and he said, Hey, a question for you goes, is this, is this a teenager show? And I went, yeah, so, (laughs) but it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not. It's not, but it is, but it's not. I but mean, it's it might really, be built. The, I thought the acting was really good, and I thought the, I, I liked it. I thought it was a really great show. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, 
<laughs> one of the things Patty said at the end of the series, she was like, you know, what's kind of cool is when you watch a show where like an actor has had, it's their first show, like first big series that blows up in the U S and then you're like, Oh, I'm going to see you everywhere from now on. Do you mean both of them or both of them? Certainly. Yeah. I think a lot of the people in the, in the show were just incredible, but you know, the, the two of them, the two leads and she's, she's stunning. She's, stu- she's stunning. She's a wonderful actor. The, the, the guy is young and has, I mean, I think this was his first thing out of school really. And like the two of them were just, brilliant I yeah thought. i looked it up she's 22 and he's 24 and I, I i didn't realize it i guess the show's kind of a phenomenon right around the, it's it really blown up yeah and that's it, that part gets me too is that none of all these shows now so like i watched the end of uh Be- better call saul the last season the most recent season mm-hmm. and it was so great but then i get sad because i'm like nothing's in production right now so all of these shows we're not going to see the next season of better call Saul for what would be the minimum in a year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it'll be like waiting for the next season of Westworld, but like every season I bailed, I bailed, <laughs> but on every show I bailed. Did you keep going? We kept going. Yeah. Is it where I couldn't, I was watching my, what the fuck is going on? Sorry. Well, I mean, look, I, it, I think it's a the concept of the show is brilliant. It's hard to go that long, like you're saying. It's hard to go that long between series, and especially one that's so complicated like that with the timelines and with the subject matter. It's 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 very hard without basically going back and giving yourself a refresher every time. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we enjoyed it. Okay, it was good. Yeah, I'm gonna do. Usually, I just I end the interview and then I do a, a little thing after. I'm just ending the whole show here. Okay. Uh, because I don't, I, I feel like there's, when Colin Donald's on the show, what more is there to say after he's gone? It's over. It's done. There's nothing left. So I want to, uh, I want to thank Dan Calloway and John Hargrove from Bardstown Bourbon Company for joining us earlier on the show. And of course, I want to thank my, my dear friend, John Ham. Oh, shit. God, you okay. really do look like him. I, I'm sorry. It's just like, I'm looking at, yes, it is John Ham, isn't it? You're so good on Mad Men. Uh, no, uh, I had a great career so far. You're, you're killing it, man. You are fucking killing it. No, he's not John Ham. He's Colin Donnell. He's St. Louis's first favorite son. Fuck you, John Ham. Until John Ham comes on, then I'll be like, Colin, who? Uh, who else is from St. Louis? It's uh, Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula was the guy from uh, the that show. I know who he is, but I can't think of the show. And neither is you. Isn't that Quantum Leap, man. Quantum Leap, that's it. Quantum Leap. Who else? Anybody else from St. Louis? Uh, uh, we got Chuck Berry, Nelly. Chuck uh, Berry's from St. Louis? You better believe it, man. Nelly, you said? Yep. Okay. Chuck Berry used to play a, he had a long standing, when I was growing up, he had a long standing uh, monthly gig at Blueberry Hill, which is a, uh, a music club in St. Louis's The Loop. And uh, one of my biggest regrets is never having gone to see Chuck Berry play live. When when did Chuck Berry die? I mean, with, I, I want to say within within the last decade. 
It wasn't, I, I'm terrible with dates, so I'm, I'm not going to be the best person to ask. You should probably Google it, but, uh, yeah, he, um, yeah, man, huh. Scott Joplin, Scott Joplin's from St. Louis. We, I'm, we've I'm a- going through, I'm on the, uh, I'm on the, the, uh, the Wikipedia here. Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou. Uh, Sterling K. Shepard. Oh, he's great. Yep. He's from St. Louis. You said Chuck Berry, but also Yogi Berra, the famous baseball player. Linda Absolutely. Blair. Linda Blair from St. Louis. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Huh. Joe Buck. Well, we already knew that. Joe Buck. Oh, yeah. He's a big Nikki Glazer, the comedian. She's from there? That's right. We yeah. went to high school. Uh, she was a year below me. Uh, she was, uh, yeah, she was, she was uh, one year behind me. Miles Davis. Miles Davis is from St. Louis? Yeah, man. Holy guy, who knew? What's going on? What are they putting in the water? Getting all these red fox? Red fox, one of the greatest comedians of all time. Jonathan Franzen, one of my favorite authors. John Goodman. John Goodman is from, from there. Uh man, you guys I maybe I you know I gotta stop talking shit about St. Louis. I, I feel yeah, bad you should. Now. Yeah. Don't talk bad about our pizza. <laughs> is there is there pizza in St. Louis? There is a St. Louis style pizza. I know this this was supposed to be the end of your show, right? Yeah, well let's let's keep going. I know people are out there going, What who else is from St. Louis? Like maybe so, I shouldn't tune out yet. I want to find out if I'm missing anybody. No, go there's ahead. a there's a St. Louis style pizza, which is basically uh it's like toppings on a cracker, but it's the most delicious thing that you've ever had. It's it, it, it's so awesome. There's there's very specific like St. Louis style foods. St. Louis style pizza. Uh, Emo's is one of the greatest places that you can get St. Louis style pizza from. Uh, in fact, we had it delivered up to our place in New York because I missed it so much. Uh, toasted ravioli is another St. Louis specialty. Wait, wait, how do you do? What's toasted ravioli? Toasted, yeah, toasted ravioli is ravioli, uh, traditionally beef ravioli, but it's been deep fried. Deep fried. Oh, deep fried so they cook ravioli. it then they fry it you got they it. just they just fry it uh there's a thing called gooey butter cake which is Ooh. like a it's a it's a breakfast treat which is awesome it's got like two blocks of cream cheese in it per like nine by nine pan it's it's amazing i'm getting uh, fat just thinking about it yeah st louis great. style barbecue oh well of course i mean that's, come on yeah. man i mean all right man all right it's yeah we are, look, we didn't, we're, you're special. We're pretty okay. good. No, you're, you're good enough. St. Louis, very, you're good Very enough. proud to be from St. Louis. And the last one I just saw on here, the final one that jumped out at me is one of my all time favorite, uh, writers, comedians, actors, Harold Ramis is from St. Yeah. Louis. Harold Ramis was so friggin' talented, man. Like there's so many, I mean, Groundhog Day, which he wrote one of the greatest movies of all time. He, uh, everything, Stripes and Caddyshack, right? Wasn't about, all that, maybe he wasn't Caddyshack. Uh, it's, well, a, it's funny because I think that he oftentimes, you know, people remember him, him, remember him from Ghostbusters and that's about it, but don't know him as the writer and director that he became, uh, you know, post-acting career, you know. All right, anyway, we were we're getting off. Uh, we're, <laughs> you we're, were ending, ending the show. show. <laughs> but then, you know, the, somebody brings up St. Louis pizza. I can't. I can't cut you off when you start talking about that. I appreciate it for you letting it get its due. Colin, 
always great having you. I want to thank everybody out there listening. Um, hey, man, one more thing. Are you, in terms of some of the, we were talking about some of the causes. I know you've been putting swipe ups on your Instagram. What, where can people go? You got something you want to plug for people to get involved? Uh, you know, right now, uh, I think everybody should go to vote saves America. Vote saves America. Vote save vote save America. Okay. Singular vote save America.com. Go register to vote. However you do it, whether you go to that website or anything else, go register to vote, find out what's going on, vote in your primaries, vote in the national election that's coming up. Just go fucking vote. Yeah, because we can we can yell and post shit on social media and even take to the streets all we want. But the thing that's going to affect the most change is putting people in office who are dedicated to that change. So that's what we have to do. And uh, on that note, thank you all for joining us, Colin. Thank you for being here, my friend. It's always great to see you. And we're going to be doing this again soon. I know it. I got to get you before, before the, before the new one, but the little one comes along. It's gonna be a little bit tougher for you to be doing these whiskey segments. That's right. I'll be. I can hear Patty in the background going, "Colin, what are you doing?" <laughs> the baby's. I'm drinking with Dan. <laughs> baby needs to be changed. Baby needs Stop to be changed. Tr- but drinking. I'm drinking with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, good. Great to see you as always, and uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs>